Warrior Poet Project with the reason that there is this podcast is because I hopped on a podcast with this guy right here, Mr. Joe Rogan. Honored to have you on my little Warrior Poet Project. Honored to be here, sir. Yes, indeed. So a lot of people don't really probably know, and I get asked the question a lot, how, how did you and Joe Rogan get linked up? And so I guess I'll tell the story here. <laughs> so what happened was, is we had a, we had a little business deal we were going to work out, and um, we decided to go to lunch. And I had seen Joe perform comedy before. And when you were performing comedy back then, this was like at least 10 years ago, <clears throat> I thought, holy shit, he sees things in a way that I like to see things. And it kind of fucking blew my mind because that was not mainstream back then at all. I mean, you were putting ideas out that were quite a bit different than a lot of the stuff that you would hear. And uh, so I took note and then, you know, somehow our paths seemed to find a way to cross and uh, we just met for lunch and that lunch turned into like a four hour discussion about super volcanoes and aliens and all <laughs> kinds of the shit we love. And then, you know, some years later, here we are today. Yeah. We had never even considered having a sponsor for the podcast. It was never even on the radar. The idea of the podcast was just fun. And, uh, as the podcast started to grow, uh, I don't even remember how you contacted us. I don't, I don't remember what the method was, but all of a sudden we're having lunch, you know, and uh, we're talking about flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was back when you were running flashlight, and it was uh, it, it was fascinating because we were like, "All right, it'd be a fun podcast sponsor. We'll have a sponsor." <laughs> so now right. we got a sponsor, and from then, uh, you know, the podcast has sort of like morphed and grown and become this weird, crazy thing. And, uh, you know, we're no longer with the flashlight. And, uh, you and I are hanging <laughs> things, out. Yeah, things have gone on. Yeah, I listened to it and I said, man, this is probably reaching a lot of people. It has no sponsors. And I thought this would be kind of cool to, to make this happen. I happened to be selling fake vaginas at the time. It wouldn't have mattered. I could have been selling barbecue sauce at the time. I would have still tried to be a sponsor for the podcast because I saw the power that it had. It really was a new medium. It was allowing the listener to hang out with somebody that they normally wouldn't get to hang out with and just feel like they're a part of the conversation, even if they're a little on the quiet side. Well, it's also because of the fact that it was so unprofessional, it was more <laughs> like a conversation yeah. than it was a show. And I think that's what people liked about it. People liked because they felt like they were in on a conversation as opposed to some sort of a show because that was the number one criticism we got when we first started doing it. Like, oh God, sloppy editing and these guys, they don't care about it. They're, they're, they're not even caring. This is just so poorly thought out. Yeah, terrible. We're not thinking <laughs> about it at all. Just We're just doing it as we go along. We're banking on the fact that it's better to have an, an actual real conversation uh, and, and actually have opinions about things that you haven't rehearsed. It's better to have that than it is to have some sort of a pre-planned out monologue and canned questions and you know just yeah, some kind of Piers, pushing an Piers agenda. Morgan bullshit. Oh yeah, did you see the video with where Chelsea Handler yeah, owns I just Piers saw that. Morgan? That's just what I oh, saw. I love her. And it reminded me that there was all those questions and I do podcasts all the time. I have a hard time saying no to podcasts just because I have a soft spot. So it'll be anybody with some kind of recorder or their cell phone up to the regular phone recording, uh. and it'll just be question after question, and some of them get kind of brutal but you know i know they're trying to push it out there but I, I like the way you did it and you finally broke me this last time of 
getting to the point where I had absolutely no idea in hell what I was going to talk about. <laughs> You're like, come on, let's do a podcast. I'm like, Joe, we just did what I have nothing. I have nothing to say. You're like, don't worry about us. Like, okay, fuck it. Well, you, you can't go in there wondering whether or not you're going to have something to say because there's always something to say. Yep. If we're con- that's the one thing I said to you, like, you're n- we're not going to run out of things to talk about if there's no microphone on. Yeah. Right. Indeed. So why would we run out of things to talk about because there's a microphone on? There's too much out there in the world today. There's too much material, too much information, too much going on. The idea that you wouldn't have something to say about something is crazy. Yeah. That's like, I can't breathe anymore. There's no more air. <laughs> there's plenty of air. <laughs> there's plenty of information. There's plenty of topics. So, And it was one of our best podcasts. Yeah, no doubt. No well, they've doubt. all been really great. They've all been great. I think, you know, going back to those very first ones, I forget which number it was. I know like 127 was the ayahuasca story. But then earlier on, it was Chris Marcus podcast yeah. back then, way back in the, in the <laughs> early days. And those were, those were really interesting, man. That was, that was the first time, you know, where I had gone through and, and done something. And then all of a sudden, I had Twitter followers. And I was like, oh, shit. Look at this. This is weird. Yeah. You know, like people, are, it was really kind of a wild experience. And then, you know, being a part as it's all gone through, it's now a, a force of nature. Like it's, it's out there. It's its own beast. It's totally its own beast. I just get out of the way of it. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm, I mean, I guess I call myself the conduit. So that's what it is. I'm sort of like a, an antenna that picks up the lightning. And uh, I, I, you know, I have this guy on and that guy on and I schedule people that I find interesting. And I just try to bring in people that I want to talk to. That's all I try to do. And then get them in there. And, you know, like I had a guy on Peter Giuliano the other day who is a coffee expert. Mm-hmm. People are like, you're going to fucking talk about coffee for three hours? <laughs> The dude was fascinating. Yep. I mean, he was the perfect guy for it too because he's just so into tastes and cultivating these different beans in different climates. And I found out there's like 5,000 different types of coffee in Ethiopia and only like 30 worldwide other than that. And that they all come from Ethiopia and that's the origins of coffee. And like talking to this guy who was like a real coffee expert and a total coffee geek. It was amazing. It was fascinating. And I've got... I don't know how many Twitter messages say, I thought this was going to suck. This is one of the best podcasts you ever did. And that's awesome. It's because, you know, well, it's because the guest was amazing, but also because these are things I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in stuff. You know, if I can get an astrophysicist on and we could talk about quantum theory, I will do that. I mean, we, we did that with Dr. Amit Goswami and it was one of the most confusing, but equally fascinating podcasts too. It's just the, the idea of not having anybody else to step in the way and to get this sort of singularity of idea that you can get from a podcast, the singularity of, of, of a vision, like one person's conversations with people, mm-hmm. you know, it probably should call That's what I should probably call it instead of the Joe Rogan experience conversations with Joe Rogan yeah. because that's really what it is. Sure. It's just, I'm the only constant and just bringing people in that are interesting. And I think one of the things that makes it interesting to everybody is you're genuine, genuinely enthusiastic about a lot of things. And I think that's one of the, th- you know, great attributes that you have is, you know, even no matter what it is, you really get passionate and fired up about it. Archery, pool, coffee, whatever. It can be any little thing. Of course, MMA, we know that, comedy, these other things. And I think that's really helped kind of benefit you in your path, I would have to say, is your just raw enthusiasm for exploring and getting to know things better and, you know, seeing what you like in life. Well, I've also become incredibly fortunate in that all these things that I really enjoy are also my job. 
you know, where a lot of people have passions for things, but they're stuck in a job that they don't have a passion for. Like Cameron Haynes, who uh, uh, is uh, has become a, a good friend, who's this famous bow hunter. And uh, we had a conversation about bow hunting, about, uh, you know, his his life. He's like, it's really hard to become a famous bow hunter. You know I mean? How do you become a famous bow hunter? This guy's figured out how Go to do it. Go on the Joe Rogan experience. That, that certainly helps. <laughs> but he talks with incredible passion about the, the, the training that he goes through. I mean, he's a dedicated ultra marathon runner. He's run a 100-mile marathon. He runs marathons on a regular basis. And all that is to build up his endurance for bow hunting because he goes out deep into the woods and shoots elk and then has to bring back these 100-pound slabs of meat on his back and make many trips back and forth to recover these. I mean, you're talking about, like, oftentimes a 1,200, 1,300-pound animal. Mm -hmm. And so this guy is so dedicated to that that he's, like, really in shape and really passionate about it, and that passion is really contagious. Um, and the guy has a regular job. His regular job sucks, and he's at his regular job, and he says he feels like he's dying. You know, mm -hmm. I'm super lucky in that I have these things that I'm passionate about, but they're also what I do for a living. So I don't have this one thing that I have to do that I hate. And then I get out of there and I go do what I love. I'm unbelievably lucky that I do what I love all the time. Sure. Like my whole day is filled with doing what I love to do. But there's a lot of people, even if they're in this kind of thing, it's easy to get lulled into a sleep where everything is a little bit dull. And I think one of the things that's important to do is do things that allow you to refresh your senses. Yes. Whatever that is, whether it's floating, whether it's psychedelics, whether whatever you got to do, it's something that wipes the slate clean so you can look back at life and say, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. Whoever set this up, this is awesome. And do you know? new things. Do new things. That's yeah. the other thing. I just started skiing recently. Last year was our first time skiing. Um, uh, archery is a new thing for me, you know. Martial arts has been a part of my whole life, but I love just learning new techniques, you know. I love showing, like, we were, uh, TJ Dillashaw and uh, I were, were going over some tech, and Danny Castillo, we were going over some techniques with Whitney today, and I get so excited mm -hmm. just about technique, just showing someone something that they maybe didn't know before, or they show me something that I didn't know before. I love learning things. I yep. love showing people things that I've learned, and I love learning things. I mean, I think that that's one of the coolest things about communication is that we could share information. We could share things that, you know, there's people out there that their whole life is spent studying something with deep passion that you've never even heard about. Mm -hmm. And then you stumble upon them and you're like, what? Salamanders? <laughs> what kind of salamanders, man? And the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're on a fucking salamander journey and you, and you get excited about salamanders sure. too. I, I tell that to anybody who's applying for a job at Honor, anybody I talk to is like, be really great at anything. Like really be passionate. Go all the way, no matter what it is. And salamanders is a great example. Bonsai trees. Mm. I don't care. I will spend 30 minutes talking to the bonsai tree expert. If you're out there, hit me up. I'll talk to you for <laughs> real. Like whatever, if you have any niche, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, and you always find out these cool things that you never would have thought of. Did you see Jiro Dreams of Sushi? No, I didn't. It's interesting. It's very, very interesting. I don't want to live that life. But this stoic existence of repeating the same thing over and over again until you achieve ultimate mastery of it. And that mastery is just making sushi. You know, I always looked at sushi like, oh, you're cutting fish and putting on rice. What are you right. doing? You spend your whole life doing that? <laughs> but when you watch that movie and you see the dedication involved in what this guy's done, it's, it's really humbling. It's very humbling. I mean, he's in his 80s. And he's been making sushi his whole life. He has a 10-seat restaurant in a Tokyo subway station. And they're booked up for months in advance. 
Yeah, that's very much a, an application of Zen that, you know, the, the Japanese kind of, I don't know if they necessarily originated, but it's certainly been associated with their culture for many, many years. And it's, it's fascinating to look at that. I mean, you can apply it to archery, apply it to sushi. One of the classic things you apply Zen to is flower arrangement, mm. how to put flowers properly in a vase. And they spend years of their life dedicated to that. Me and you probably go, oh, nice flowers. <laughs> you know, never see it. But they would look and understand the Zen of it. You yes. know, like being in the moment, the tea ceremony, mm. how to whisk the matcha, how to pour, how to pour it. And it's really kind of attractive when you see someone putting that much care into something little. Yeah, you can see what it is that they get enthusiastic about. And that sort of is very contagious. You know, a lot of times it's things that I'm not interested in, like sushi. Right. You know, I mean, I enjoy sushi, but I have no desire to become a sushi chef. But occasionally it's something that I am interested in, like bow hunting. And they go, oh, wow, <laughs> I want to f- do what this guy's doing. Yeah. This, is, this seems like this guy's having fun, you know. And then one of the attributes that you have that I think is great for other people to apply is when you like something, you go deep. I mean, you're, you're in it. You just recently picked up archery and you're already going deep. I mean, your house is littered with tools and implements <laughs> and things like that. Bows are strung out everywhere. There's targets in the lawn. You know, chickens are walking by. You're shuffling the chickens away and shooting targets. You go deep. You go in. Yeah, I don't believe in half-assing things. I don't, yeah. I'm not, this life is short. You know, if you get into something, get into it. And if you're not into it, don't be into it. You know, there's that old saying, it's better to dig one hole 100 feet deep than 100 holes one foot deep. <laughs> I'm 100 holes 100 feet deep. <laughs> I'm retarded. I, 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 when people say that they're bored, oh, I'm so bored. I don't know what to do. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never been bored ever. My, my, my problem in life is I have too many things that I love doing. That's my problem in life. If I could be a race car driver and uh, if I could compete in jujitsu tournaments and do stand-up comedy and do commentary for the UFC and play pool professionally, I mean, I would just keep going. If I, if I could just live a bunch of lives simultaneously, then I would be satisfied. But I probably wouldn't even be because I, I, although I love doing all these various things, I don't think I want to do any one of them only. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I like is that I think they all feed into each other. Yep. I think podcasting feeds into comedy, and comedy feeds into commentary. You know, uh, commentary feeds into my knowledge of martial arts. You know, martial arts feeds into my my ability to control my ego and relax my body and 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 control my discipline and and encourage my body to do things that it doesn't want to do. Strengthening my resolve, like all those things are connected. They're all connected. You know, one of the interesting things and and the whole concept of the warrior poet is the ability to do things that are usually seen as opposites, you know, the warrior or the poet. And so the idea and the whole concept of the philosophy is that you don't have to be one or the other. And you were one of the few people that we saw and something that constantly amazes people is that you're very much from ostensibly from appearance in that warrior archetype. You know, ex-world champion, taekwondo fighter. Yeah, I was never a world champion. I won the U.S. Open. So. Right, U.S. champion, U.S. Open champion, taekwondo fighter. And big in MMA, jiu-jitsu black belt. And then, but also there's another side of you that embraces yoga, floating, psychedelics. And the other side, which is traditionally, you know, the yin side of that. Did you feel like you always had that? Or was that something where you started down one path and then just kind of veered the other way and now embrace them both? Or did you always have that kind of feeling? No, I I was uh, very imbalanced when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I was a berserker. 
I was crazy <laughs> when I was when I was like uh, when I was before I stopped competing. I was absolutely an insane person. From the time I was competing, from I was like fifteen to like say twenty one, I was unrecognizable. I wasn't the same person I am now. I, I didn't I didn't even like the fact that I liked sex because I thought that sex was pleasure and that pleasure was weak. Wow, how Spartan of you! I was crazy. <laughs> and well, then, so what changed? Something shifted. A well, little I way. stopped competing. First mm -hmm. of all, that was one thing, and uh, huge release, relaxation, like this, this, this different way of living life where I'm not worried all the time. Like I realized, like from 15 to 21, it was just a series of preparing for horrifying events, getting through them, trying to relax, but worried about the next horrifying event. It was just constantly dealing with competition. And I started competing at a very high level very young. When I was 15 years old, I was fighting against men. I had a crazy instructor. This guy, um, Michael O'Malley, uh, who was a uh, multiple-time national champion, mm -hmm. one of, like one of the best Taekwondo fighters in the world at the time, he took me in very young and gave me like just not just great guidance but gave me a, like a home and I started teaching and I was teaching from the time I was 15 I was like almost immediately mm -hmm. and I had my black belt by the time I was 17 but I was fighting as a black belt before I was even a black belt yep. you just put a black belt on me and throw me out there against men when I was 15 16 years old I was fighting in the men's division I mean he just he just had this philosophy of just throwing you in the yeah, fire because fire. that's what he did his instructor who was also my instructor uh jay kim um was one of the original students of general che young he who was the real the, the grand master of taekwondo mm -hmm. and he developed it for the korean army and uh he was just uh just a, a guy in a similar mode to what Elio Gracie did for jiu-jitsu. He was a guy who really figured out what, what the best techniques are for Taekwondo. And a lot of people look at Taekwondo and they look at a Taekwondo that he was very opposed to. His style of Taekwondo was very different than what you see like in these point tournaments. Like you see like even a lot of Olympic Taekwondo, they're trying to win scoring, scoring yeah. points. He was all about power, and he was all about knockouts. He was all about brutal kicking power. And so he taught us the pure form of Taekwondo, and he taught Michael O'Malley the pure form of Taekwondo. And so that was my life. From 15 to 21 was just controlled violence. Just that's all it was. And occasionally sex. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that was it. I mean, I, I started ta teaching at Boston University when I was 19 years old. So I was teaching uh, Taekwondo at BU. I was running my own school. I was teaching at uh, J. Kim school and just competing and competing constantly. I mean, I don't even know how many times I yeah, fought. Sure. I didn't keep track. I have no idea. I won the Massachusetts State Championship four years in a row, and I won uh, a bunch of other you know, fairly big tournaments. Uh, leading up to when I was uh, competing, when I was training for the Olympics in, in uh, 88, I started kickboxing. And when I started kickboxing, I started realizing there's a lot of holes in Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. And it really fucked me up. Because uh, I kind of, uh, I realized that I had gone down this really great path, what I thought was a really great path, had a lot of holes in it. There was a lot was of- a bit narrow. There was things wrong with it. I started sparring with kickboxers. I was getting punched in the face too much. It was just, I was getting lit up in the gym. And I was like, I was not used to doing that. I yeah. was used to being the lighter. I wasn't used to being the, the, <laughs> the, the, the match. I wasn't used to being the cigarette. You know, um, so 
I uh, I lost a lot of enthusiasm for Taekwondo. I did some kickboxing. I had uh, three kickboxing bouts. I won two, lost one, and then I, I realized I was doing that as I was doing comedy at the same time, and I was realized I was I was doing. I was spreading myself too thin, and uh, the first thing I decided to do was quit teaching because I said that if I couldn't dedicate myself to teaching the way I was taught, I wasn't going to do it mm-hmm. because uh, the way I was taught and the enthusiasm that I developed because the intensity of my instructor and my, my love for what he was trying to teach me was so valuable to me that to water that down or to half-ass it wasn't an option. Yeah. So it was my only form of income, so I quit. I mean, I I, had, I delivered newspapers as well, uh, which I made like a couple hundred bucks here and there as like a, a side gig because I'd always done that all throughout my competition days. Um, but I knew that there was, you know, I had to I had to quit. I had to quit everything, and then I just dr- dr- dove into comedy. When I dove into comedy, a bunch of things happened. One, I I all, I all of a sudden in doing stand-up comedy, I had to worry about what people thought of me, mm-hmm. which was. N- n- completely not a concern when I was fighting yeah. matter of fact I wanted them to not like me <laughs> right like I, I wanted to uh, you know I would I would do things on purpose so that people would not like me so that they would worry about There'd me be an so advantage. They, yeah, yeah so it would think about me so they would you know there would be some sort of tension between us sure and you got it to be effective you have to be absolutely you know you have to complete have complete disregard for everybody else watching. Almost, yeah. You, know, you have to be the other the other way to think. You have to be a crazy person <laughs> to to be a, a really high level fighter. I I really believe there has to be there's a type of insanity that you you know I don't want to say that I was ever great because I think I'd never even reached my potential because I stopped fighting when I was 21, mm-hmm. 22 maybe maybe I had my last kickboxing fight when I was 22 somewhere around there 21 22. Um, I don't think I was ever great, but I was on the road. And if I kept on that road, uh, I would have been an insane great person. And I think that insanity and and greatness are next door neighbors, and they borrow each other's sugar. That's that's my <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've always said. There's there's something about mastery, like true mastery, uh, that requires you to shut off massive areas of your life, personal areas. Um, relationships, uh, education. My education was a joke. I mean, until I was 21 years old, until I started doing stand-up comedy, I didn't read books. I mean, I may, might have read a Stephen King book here and there for to kill time while I was on the train on my way to training. Uh, but there was no uh, there was no desire to educate myself. If I was educating myself, it was maybe reading uh, the Book of Five Rings to mm-hmm. learn better strategy to be a better fighter. That was all it was. So then at some point, you know, you, th- you throw yourself into comedy, but still there's that whole other aspect that you had to develop either consciously or did it just come from learning and being around and just kind of develop organically? Or was there ever a point where you said, I'm a little out of balance. I need to go the other way. Well, I realized I was a flawed person for sure. You know, and I think in realizing that you're a flawed person. And what it, helped you realize that? Just fucking up. <laughs> just being an idiot, you know, realizing, you know, girls would get mad at me or maybe guys would get mad at me, whatever it was. I realized that I had flaws, you know, uh-huh. I, I knew, I knew that, uh, I was, and then also failing at comedy. One of the, um, hardest things to do is to go from being really great at something to sucking at something. And that's something that you suck at is now your path, you know, and that's what I found myself in comedy. Like 
you know, I, I could get laughs every now and then, but I knew I wasn't anything special. I knew I was terrible. And there was something exciting about being terrible because it, I had potential, because there was potential for growth. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a, if, you, if you start doing it and you're great at it, like naturally, like maybe I wouldn't have had the motivation to do it as a living for 25 years like sure. I've done. I don't know. But at that time, you know, making that transition from martial arts competition to uh, being a comedian, that's when I started going down the road of balance and started trying to balance myself as a person. And I started trying to almost educate myself to have more things to talk about on stage. And then along the way, my curiosity started to blossom. And then I started to just be interested in things for being interested in them. And as I got better as a comedian, I became less worried about what other people thought about me and more worried about just improving and, and keeping, you know, keeping this sort of momentum going. And as I relaxed more, you know, in having some success in life and sort of uh, not worrying about bills as much, not worrying about my future, then I started to explore altered states of consciousness, and then I really started opening up the door to the whole yin and the yang. So the altered states of consciousness, psychedelic experiences, that was kind of an accelerator for mm -hmm. something that was already in, yes. in, in yeah, process. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, <clears throat> I was trying to do it with meditation and yoga before that. And uh, it's, it's a challenge just doing that alone. When you have it, for me, people ask, well, why do you need that? Can't you do it with meditation and yoga? Sure, you can. But for me, it's like saying, you guys, you have a place to get to. This is what this, just go there. And you're like, well, what's that place like? And you're like, ah, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I can't really describe it. Yeah. And they're like, but just get there. And you don't really know where the fuck you're going until you've done a psychedelic. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's the place I'm trying to get to meditation. Oh, after you do a float tank. Oh, yeah, that's where I'm trying to go. That's how I want to feel after I'm done doing yoga or, or some of these things. So I think it's a really useful tool to show you hey, this is where you're headed, buddy. And then you can get there a ton of different ways. Yeah, have you ever heard the uh, Terrence McKenna? Terrence McKenna had this great story about uh, this monk uh, meeting the Buddha. And this monk met the Buddha and said, oh, oh, great Buddha, I have practiced a city of levitation for over 40 years, and now I can walk on water. And the Buddha went, but the ferry's only a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the idea behind, you know, taking psychedelics. Like, yeah. yeah, you could go to the ashram and fucking sit on your knees and, and home, <laughs> home, and you can reach an altered state of consciousness. Sure. I've reached altered state of consciousness, altered states of consciousness through yoga. I definitely have, but they've been nothing like DMT. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a, a level that you're not going to get to. I don't think. I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe there's incredible discipline involved and you could do it for a hundred years, but the ferry's only a nickel. Yeah. You know, exactly. smoke the DMT and <laughs> you, you get that fully compressed new data that goes scrambling through your brain. At least, at least know it, you know, like mm -hmm. somebody who's has a really good meditation practice, you know, and says, Oh, I don't need it. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but try it and see yeah. if that's a place that you would like to get to. I know a story that, um, uh, that I heard when I was down in Peru is one of the shamans had someone who had a 30 year meditation practice. They sat on the cushion, they chanted the chants and, um, they came down and did the ayahuasca session. They brought their cushion with them. After their ayahuasca session, they go up and they give the shaman the cushion. And the shaman says, no, I can't take this. You've sat on this for, you know, you got 20 years of miles on this cushion. You know, he's like, man, most of the time I sat on that cushion, I was just trying not to think about sex. 
<laughs> and he's like, after taking ayahuasca, now I fucking get it, you know? And yeah. so I'm sure his meditation practice was better, but it was kind of a symbolic gesture of like, hey, you really fucking showed me something here. Yeah. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with thinking about sex. <laughs> yeah, it's, of course. it's a part of the whole thing. It's part of the whole life. It's a, it's one of the, the, the beautiful aspects of this great big picture. The idea of like this stoic the guy in orange robes sitting there doing nothing. It's kind of preposterous. You yeah. know, you're missing out on a lot of life totally. just to try to achieve these states that you can get with mushrooms. There's a quote from William Blake recently that is kind of interesting. It says, uh, those who restrain their desires have desires weak enough to be restrained. <laughs> I was like, all right, William Blake. <laughs> I, I like, love it. That's yeah, a like, great quote. Yeah, I like it. And wow. I, I got to remember that. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So one, I mean, and that's one of the philosophies that I try to say is don't find the balance by riding this narrow margin where you never sway one side or the other. Find the balance by pushing the extremes out as far as you can on either fucking side. Go for a seven day fast on the top of a mountain where your only substance you're ingesting is water and peyote. Like mm -hmm. do that sure. you know, or meditation or whatever. Whatever's on the farthest side that you can reach for that. And then go the other way, you know, stand on top of some speakers in a nightclub and pound your chest and howl at the <laughs> fucking moon. You know, like that's, that's why not to me. Yeah, why not? Enjoy life. Life is filled with so many different kinds of experiences that are available. And that's one of the things that you sort of open up to when you relax. When you relax and, you know, you don't worry about what you look like. You don't worry about what you sound like. You don't worry about how, how people feel about you. Because you've thought all, uh, about all these different things on your own. And you've kind of corrected as many things as you can correct given that time period. But you, you, you feel comfortable that you're on a good path. Mm -hmm. You know, then you sort of can entertain ideas that maybe you wouldn't if you were insecure. Sure. Or more insecure. You know, I think we're all... I think you have to be insecure if you're finite, you know? Or even when you don't think you're insecure, some little yeah. thing will happen and be like, oh shit, there you are. You're old, a human. Old friend insecurity. <laughs> I see you Just now. Just the idea. I mean, you're, we're worried about death. We're, we're worried about disease. We're worried about loved ones. We're, we're always going to be, in a certain sense, insecure. You know, we're worried about being sexually attractive. We're worried about being uh, socially interesting. Sure. You know, there's always going to be some form of insecurity, but... That's also part of the balance of life too. It's like you don't ever get to bliss. You know, what you get to do is chase bliss. You get to enjoy the moment. The mm -hmm. moment is amazing and it'll go away and you'll be fucking tired and you gotta get up, you know, and you gotta drive in traffic and you're not gonna like it. And you gotta, you know, do some shit you don't wanna do. There's a lot of times where I work out where I don't want to, yep. you know, and I make myself do it. If I was living in bliss, I'd be just be a fat fuck sitting on the couch, <laughs> you know, thinking that I don't wanna do that. My life is about enjoyment. No, there's enjoyment in doing things you don't enjoy. There's three, I, you know, I read something from Eckhart Tolle that really resonated more than the others. And that's, the, he, he recommended three states of being. And one, the bare minimum is acceptance. Let's say you're in a really shitty situation. It's pouring rain. You got to change a tire. Everything's going all fucked up. You can either get really frustrated and aggravated about that and, and resist it. Oh, this fucking sucks. And you can work yourself into a frenzy. Or you could just accept it. Be in the moment. Say, well, this is what's going on right now. Now, that's not obviously the best way to be. The best way would be to be an enjoyment of the moment. So that's the second modality is, oh, man, I'm really enjoying the present and enjoying the moment. And then the third and best way is what he calls enthusiasm. And that's when you get enjoyment plus a goal. You know, it's like you're really in the moment, you're enjoying it, but you're going after something. You're chasing something that you love. 
And that's, you know, that's the best way to live. But as long as you're in one of those three, you know, you're not going to be suffering and you're not going to be all, you know, depressed and bummed out. Yeah. And I think that really highlights what we were talking about earlier about why I have so many different interests and so many different things that I chase down. Mm-hmm. This, I, I fuel myself with enthusiasm, you know, and there's so many things to be enthusiastic about. That's one of the most amazing things about the time that we live in is that we have access to things that aren't near us. You know, we can bring them to us, whether it's physically bring them to us or go to where they are or watch things that are not near you or read about things that are not near you. This is a very unique time. And these tools, I mean, it would be a terrible tragedy to not take advantage of these. And, you know, when I talk to people that don't have interests and they don't, they don't pursue a bunch of different things, they sort of do the same shit over and over again. They kind of half-ass it and they're bored with it. I'm like... You're, you're, you could do different. You could, you could, yeah. There's a way to do this where it's more fun. Like you, there's other options. Like you don't have to be lazy. You don't have to be. You could. You'll have more energy if you're not lazy. Like it yeah. sounds contradictory, but in expending that energy, you actually create more. Yeah, in the laziest day that you have, and you really don't want to do something, you get out and you push mm-hmm. hard towards something. It'll change the whole momentum of your day, whether it's a workout or whether it's really diving into that thing you've been fucking avoiding that you got to do. That kind of momentum will fuel you to a different state of mind and a state of being. And sometimes I don't like to, I like to do fucking nothing. I like that too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I sit home and I watch TV and I don't do shit. And people say, you should never do that. Well, why not? If yeah. that's what I want to do, as long as all my I's are dotted and T's are crossed, I believe in balance. And if, if I know I'm not an undisciplined person, so if I feel like just chilling out, I'll just chill out. And then the next day, I'll be more fired up to do things. Sure. You know, and I'll enjoy that chilling out. I'll, I'll be satisfied enjoying just eating a meal in front of the television and watching a movie with my feet up on the couch, just relaxing. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, too. Yeah, you got to find what, what makes a balance. I had a conversation with, with, uh, with a, actually family of mine, a cousin of mine, and he was, I was trying to encourage him to get in a float tank, and he wanted to do it or do a psychedelic experience because he said he just doesn't feel like he's getting deep enough in his thinking and knowing who he is and what his path is, but he's extremely busy. He runs you know, a, a big company, constant emails. He's like, you know, if I, if I give up six hours, then everything's just going to pile up. I said, well... Yes, but what you got to realize is by doing that, you're going to be way more efficient for everything else you're doing. It's like that quote from Abraham Lincoln, give me six hours, six hours to chop down a tree. I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. You know, it's doing things in a way where, yeah, if you take that time to get yourself right, you're going to be way more effective in what you're doing. Cut through all the bullshit in half the time, and that momentum is going to carry you even further. Yeah, momentum is a big thing with human beings. It's a big thing for me, at least. My momentum is very important. When I'm on a good streak, if I'm on a good momentum of healthy eating and exercise, I love it. I yep. like waking up sore, and I, I like you know pushing further. I like writing down my workouts, what I've done, you know, and I, and I like hitting that gym hard on a daily basis, and I, I build momentum. And I find that when I do that with writing, whether I do that with performing, whether I do that with anything, it just it just gets everything going. It just creates energy. Mm-hmm. And so being lazy robs you of energy. 
like being sedentary, being uninspired, being bored, it robs you of one of the most precious things you can have in this life, enthusiasm. Yeah, and I think another one of the things that both of us, you know, really prize and something that, you know, I really admired from you from an early point is, you know, being ruthlessly honest, most importantly with yourself, but as much as possible with the rest of the world and life. You know, everybody tries to position and maneuver and and put out these different faces. It's so much easier when you really just know yourself and you just say, look, take it or leave it. Yeah. You know? It's the only way to do it. And it's it's really bad if you're not doing it that way for you. It's hard to keep track of the bullshit. And you also, if you fuck up, it's important to say you fucked up. Mm -hmm. It is. It's important to everyone that knows you. You know, it's it's important to everyone that you communicate with. If you if you have a mistake, and you know, like I tell all my friends my mistakes, and I tell the big ones like with other comedians. Like if I have a shitty set, I'm fucking the first guy to call one of my like Ari or someone up, dude. I had a fucking shit set last night. What happened? I don't know, man. I think I was dehydrated or something. I wasn't in the mood. I couldn't get cracking. Like something just wasn't clicking, and I was in the middle of it, and I was like, oh my god, this is coming out clunky, and Meanwhile, the audience probably didn't even know it was yeah, bad. Know. You know? know. It could be one flubbed word, one forgotten punchline that they didn't even know existed. And I'm like, fuck! <laughs> but I'm, I'll be the first guy. Yeah. I'll be the first guy. You know? If I fuck up, if I get angry at something I shouldn't have got angry with, I, I pride myself in, in calling myself out. You know? I think you got to do that. You got to do that. And then the next important step is... After you've done that, after you've analyzed it and figured out how to fix it, you got to let that shit go. Let it go. Let that shit go. Let it go. Only bitches hold on to the past. Stop. (laughs) You know, you're not the past. That's one of of the things that I tell people all the time because a lot of people have a hard time defining themselves. They define themselves by failure because they failed. But I'm like, you're not your failures. You're you. Okay? Your life is a series of lessons you've learned. Now, if you just dwell on the failures... Like that's not, that's not healthy. It's not smart and it's not empowering. What you got to do is look at those failures and go, well, now you know what not to do, but you're not that you're you, you know, you could have done the stupidest fucking shit ever, but it's not you. That's not you. You're, you're a different thing. You're the, the being that's experiencing all these failures. And if you know that they're fuck ups, then you've learned. Okay. If you repeat them over and over again, well, then I can't talk to you. Yeah. You know, if you keep going back and doing the same stupid shit over and over again, well, you got a deeper issue. You, you know, I don't know what it is, but I don't have the time, you know, <laughs> right. Good luck. Yeah. Deciding that you are who you are right at this moment. I think there's a quote from Heraclitus that says, no man steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Ooh, and two fucking home runs <laughs> by Aubrey. I got him, man. I got him going today. Those are good. Those are good. But that's, that's a good that's one. That's the truth because the universe, the world is changing. Your environment's changing. All of that's different. The river has changed. And you as a person are mm. different than that person that made that choice because you made that choice. Every second on the bleeding edge, you're slightly different than the second before. And you can decide at any one of those points that say, you know, that was the tipping point of me being something different. You know, these changes, people think they have in these grand movements but really the tipping point effect is you just got to get over the hump to be something completely different and that can be a fraction one thought one action one deed and you're completely different i heard tony tony robbins put it really well once we was talking about changing your path that if two people are on a parallel path 
you know, like say maybe you're in a boat, two boats are on a parallel path, and one takes just a two degree turn to the right. Over the course of time, they'll be so far apart from each other because that one two degree turn, that two degree turn will continue forward in that direction, whereas the other one will keep going in the direction it was going in. And just one little change mm -hmm. like that can make a huge impact in the future of your life. The problem with a lot of people is they make a little turn and then they turn back. Make a little turn and turn back. You know, oh, well, I was eating real healthy for a while, then I got fat and I quit the gym. You know what I mean? Oh, I stopped smoking cigarettes, but... It's uh, almost like as soon as they touch back to the right path, they're like, sweet, I can blow it now. Well, people yeah, get sure. scared and there's also, there's comfort in patterns. You know, when you have a <clears throat> when you have a pattern, even if it's a bad pattern, like shitty food or cigarettes, that 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 pattern is kind of your friend. You know, you you get accustomed to that feeling of lighting that cigarette up, taking that deep breath, and just saying "fuck it," inhaling that smoke and feeling that old friend nicotine race through your veins, and you're like, "all right, I smoke again." So I smoke again, and I don't know how many people that I know that have done that. I've seen it over and over and over again and that's not just a physical addiction it's certainly a physical addiction a very difficult one to kick but it's also a path it's a path that's cut deep into the grooves of your psyche and like a little marble it falls right in that slot and goes rolling nice and smooth yeah well, and it doesn't even have to be cigarettes it can be relationship patterns it oh, yeah. can be different drama that you feed off of in a relationship that you can't seem to ever get away from no matter who you're with. Could be gambling, and the could way, be anything. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons why these psychedelics are showing so much promise in helping people cut these either bad behavioral patterns or bad physical addictions is they give you a moment to reflect where the rest of that noise just shuts the fuck up for a second. Yep. And it's like everything else gets quiet and you can say, oh, what course am I on? And do I wanna be on that course? Is that the best course for my authentic self? And every once in a while, getting that moment is so huge, so crucial, however you do it. It's so, cru it's so huge, and it's so incredibly attractive when you know someone that's doing that. Like, you want to be around them. You know, when, when someone's on a good path and someone's healthy and positive, like, you're gravitated towards them. You gravitate towards them. You, they're magnetic, you know, because yep. we all kind of want that, but we can't do it on our own. The way you get there is by all the lessons of all the people that have walked all the footsteps and fucked up all before you and wrote it down or talked about it or talked about the positive things that they figured out, talked about the inspirations that they found worthwhile. And then we all feed off those and then we carry them on to other people. You know, and like herpes or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> just, just spreads. The positive herpes. The positive herpes. That's the name of this podcast, Positive Herpes. <laughs> yes. That's my new album, Positive Herpes. Would be on a iTunes. good band name. It's not a bad name. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, but there, there's something to that. It's like, it is like memes are almost like living things. Ideas are almost like living things. Meme, here it is. Get positive herpes and go fuck the world. <laughs> go That's, fuck the world with your positive herpes. <laughs> That's the theme. Joe, it's been a fucking pleasure and an honor to be on this journey with you, man. I look forward to a lifetime of years ahead and uh, just awesome, man. I feel it's the same exciting. way, brother. Uh, meeting people like you is, uh, it's first of all, it's awesome to meet someone that is also like on a, a positive path that is a really good person, that it's a healthy person, and a person that challenges himself and they're honest and 
you're you're an inspirational dude, you know, and I'm I'm really glad Thank that we're bro. friends. And uh, this has been an honor for me to be your friend and to be involved with you. And I think that what we're doing together, I think this this connection that we have is it it lights a lot of other fires, you know. And I think those people out there are doing the same thing that we're doing, you know. And we're we're doing it because someone did it to us. Some some sparks of literature or film sure. or whatever it is did it to us, and we will continue that. And then other people will join in too. And you know, as I said earlier today, when we were talking about on it that we're part of a movement. It's it's not just about a company with a name. It's not. There's a, there's a movement. It doesn't just involve us. It involves human beings that are trying to live their life in a better pattern. And that there's so many of us that are living on this momentum of an ignorant past. And we're stuck in a system that we didn't ask for. We have no control yeah. over. And through self-exploration through these kind of discussions through constant searching you know more of these intellectual fires get lit you know so and that's it we're you know we're it's a feedback system you know and and at best we're just a conduit that allows the the good feedback to come through and vibrate out to a larger audience and and help get that contagious you know and absolutely I, I feel truly blessed to be a part of this as i know you do yeah too. we're lucky as fuck man we are indeed <laughs> and you guys are too we love you and uh check us out at the crazy party cast oh yeah that's coming Tonight. up soon it's gonna yeah. be wild that should be fun yeah much love everybody thank you big kiss Mwah.